Uh, and they're aware of that because that's happened throughout history in China. They, they're really good at looking at long term. They call their leader chairman. Right. Um, they don't call him president or king well, or emperor. They call him chairman. That's our translation. And that's the funny thing is that it's a, it's, it is chairman or head of a committee. What I think is funny is he's always standing while everyone else is sitting, but he's the chairman. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to another mostly not boring, exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to. The you dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> It already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. The information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. So prepare to be educated. We got lots to talk about this hour. Yep. I've got discussions about finger pointing at the port of Los Angeles between the truck drivers and the crane operators. We've got one side calling the other side lazy, the other side calling the other annoying we're back to schoolyard politics, folks. Uh, traffic jam and road rage when you're not even on a road. So do you, do you want to just jump into that one? It's a good one to talk about. Traffic jam and road rage? Well, yeah, but only in in the port of L.A. instead of on the road. Well, there's a lot of ships anchored offshore at Long Beach in L.A. Mm-hmm. L.A. having the largest port of entry in the United States. About Interestingly, 40 percent of our imports come through that port just as a side note go ahead interestingly uh our balance of trade deficit which isn't real but it's reported is getting rather large relatively speaking but there's an interesting thing going on our export prices have gone up dramatically faster this year than import prices so people that are buying things from us are seeing us raise the prices for what they're buying faster than other people raising the prices for what we are buying, which is an interesting phenomenon uh, and is continuing to accelerate. But we do have a serious problem, and that is we here in the United States have gotten used to the fact that if we want something, we can have it, which I can clearly remember because I'm old, a time when just because you wanted something didn't mean that it was available. Just because you you routinely would order something long in advance that you wanted that would be available to be, to be available sometime in the future. And there are lots of things you wanted that simply weren't available unless yeah. you were very, very wealthy. It and doesn't we're... actually have to be that long back in time. It Maybe 20 years ago, I had a llama ranch. 
and I had a belt that I needed to replace on my tractor. And I had to wait for three months to get that belt to come in. Mm. We kind of moved away from that. That belt was on demand for a lot of people for the last 20 years. So we look at this as another behavioral thing. You know, when they first started allowing Wi-Fi on the airplanes? Yeah. My first flight after them allowing Wi-Fi on, on the airplanes was maybe two days after they allowed it. So I got on the airplane. I sat down. The guy next to me is opening up his laptop, and he's getting all set and ready to go, and the Wi-Fi went down, and he went ballistic. Man, he was so mad. He went all over talking about, you advertised that this was going to be here, and I had it yesterday, and I don't have it today. I wanted to watch my movie, and uh, my, my little daughter is going to be so upset that she can't watch this movie. And I'm just going, you just got this. It just happened, and now the fact that you don't have it means something horrible has occurred. And that's gotten, what we're experiencing right now. We've gotten used to having very specific foods in our house, very narrowly defined. One brand of salad, of olive oil and, and vinegar salad dressing. And I'll just give them a plug, Newman's Own, uh, which we think is really cool. And we like it a lot. And we used quite a lot of it in various recipes and so on. And we've gotten so used to having this esoteric, one narrow brand and... When the logistics problems hit and it wasn't on the shelves, we were disappointed. And the other thing that we got, we've gotten used to, and we've gotten used to this very recently, obviously, is being able to get online and order something and have it within two days. Right. Or one day, a lot of times. Or one day. And when you go online and you order it and say, I'm sorry, there's a delay. It's going to be two weeks before you get this. We go, what is wrong with this terrible world we're in? The world the, is falling apart. The this world is, is broken. It is. I remember, I remember when we used to go to the grocery store long, long ago, far away. And there was flour in the grocery store. Yeah. That was it. Flour. I mean, you had a choice. You could have flour or you could have flour. That was it. And now you look at all the abundance of different kinds of flours. Wait, wait, what I kind was, of flour was, was it? Was it gluten-free yeah. or was it rice? Yeah, or was it, uh, it was just flour, well, just flour. Yeah, but wheat flour. Well, That's, it wasn't even called wheat flour. It was just called flour. And there weren't any of the others. And we've gotten so used to it and so spoiled by the abundance of instantly available whatever we want that we see it as a terrible crisis when we can't get exactly what we want as quickly as we want it immediately, if not sooner. And we say the world's coming to an end. It's not. It's not. And, it, and the it, reality and, is that the, the log jam will get cleaned up. Why do I say that? Because a lot of money is at stake. Um, people's jobs, putting it lightly, but the profitability of companies in general if you can come up with a better way of getting stuff to people quicker, then you're going to be ahead of the competition. And that's what's going on. We've got some other weird issues, and this, we can tie this in between what's going on at the Port of L.A. and eventually into the natural gas crisis, the crisis of natural gas. When we didn't even think about using natural gas as a major source of anything 20 years ago. It was just not what was being done. So when we look at what's going on at the Port of L.A., We've just got absolutely huge numbers of ships hanging out, waiting their turn. We don't have enough slips for them to come in. We don't have enough crane operators. And just as a side note, I have known crane operators closely. That is a high-stress job. Um, truck drivers are, this hit the Wall Street Journal yesterday, that truck drivers are complaining about the way that the crane operators are acting. Because they're taking long lunch breaks and they're 
telling people to come to the port because they're ready to move the cargo and then the truck driver has to wait multiple hours and sometimes they have to come back and when they complain, they're blacklisted and they're not allowed to come into the port. I just have to say, I don't know about the internal politics of that. What I do know is, is for a truck driver to create a billion dollars worth of damage is pretty unheard of. It's really hard for them to do that. Crane operators could at any moment damage equipment that is in the billions of dollars in both the dock and shipping stuff that they've got on the, sh the containers full of stuff. If they knock a bunch of that stuff into the ocean or you're talking about a huge mess and they are working overtime. So just be aware that we've got some automation coming there too. And we've got folks that are making a quarter of a million dollars a year in this very high-pressure job that still has accidents. The L.A. last year, when traffic was low, uh, you, go, you have to go to the L.A. Times to pick this up because it's absolutely not worldwide news when an accident happens at the port. But quite a lot of shipping containers were put on a truck the wrong way and trapped the truck or nearly hurt somebody or people get hurt. It's going to be automated, and that's going to speed this up dramatically, as are the truck drivers being automated. This, the port system is, is one of the places that automation will be picked up relatively quickly, I believe. The logistics logjam is not just at the ports. It's huge at the ports. The ports, Port of LA, for example, is probably going to follow Long Beach in the immediate future and go into 24-hour operation. The ports on the West Coast are only operating at about 60% efficiency. Uh, primarily because of the truck drivers. And the point is that they tried opening up late at night and the truck drivers weren't showing up. And par part of that is union rules and part of it is regulatory requirements. And, it, just, and, and it's just as there's a, a lot note, of bureaucratic reasons this has not happened. Right. As a side note, the Longshoremen's Union is in a fight with the Teamsters Union over this. Mm -hmm. Big one. And the Teamsters well, think they're in the right and the Longshoremen think they're in the right. It's, it's the same argument that's happened at the docks since oxen and carts were used. That's why they were called Teamsters. And longshoremen an, rode longboats. There's actually a regulation that says if you show up with a truck without a container on it, you can't pick up a container. Because you have to bring an empty one to pick up the loaded one. Yeah, and, and, and they have an excess of loaded ones, but they still got the regulation and they can't change it easily, so bureaucracy is getting in the way. But we have another big long jam occurring near Chicago where trains at least a couple of weeks ago, we're backed up 25 miles because the freight yards where they offload those containers uh, to be put on trucks were completely full. There was no place to put them anymore. Oh. And when they put them someplace other than where they were supposed to go, they blocked trucks from getting to containers from taking them out. And why are there, why is there a shortage of trucks to take the containers out? Well, it turns out that COVID has hit truck drivers much harder than it has hit the rest of the population I because simply... A lot of truck drivers didn't get vaccinated. No, just, and I can even understand why they didn't get vaccinated. In the middle of all of this, I'm going to throw some weird stuff out there just because it's funny. Um, about this time, well, a couple of months before this last year, it was in June of last year, um, empty container boxes were dirt cheap, cheaper than dirt. You, sometimes people were just paying other people to get rid of them. And we had a radio program listener that talked to me about that time period. 
and said, hey, I want to build with containers. And we talked about the problems with that and the benefits of that. And there's as many problems as benefits. And so, but I said, but it's a great time to buy cargo uh, containers right now. They're dirt cheap and, uh, and everybody's got too many. So I heard back from him last month and he made a very large amount of money by buying up a bunch of containers and then selling them last month. He bought them a year ago and he sold them last month and he made a huge amount of money, but he was talking to me at the point saying, I'm kicking myself. I could have waited another month and, and nearly doubled the prices again. So this is somebody that had their head screwed on correctly and said, hey, there's an inefficiency here. It is cheap. Uh, I bet it's not going to be cheap in the future. Only he didn't say that. He was just thinking it's cheap. I'll get it now. And then it got really expensive. So he did well. But that's kind of part of the problem is that people paid people to dump these containers last year, literally like take them somewhere and get rid of them. We've got no room to put all these empty containers anymore. The Chinese didn't get any empty containers back because we weren't ordering stuff from China. They still had containers that they were shipping out. So we have empty containers all over the East coast of Africa. We've got empty containers on the east and west coast of South America that are just completely inaccessible now. The Venezuelan uh, shipping containers were brought in for humanitarian relief, and they're still sitting there, and nobody wants to take their ships into port to pick up the empty containers because people try to get on the boats. So the world is snarled in the combination of normal governmental shifts normal economic movements, and then a massive plague. And we'll get through this because we invented the system that shipped to the world so quickly to begin with. And there's a great paper we talked about before the program started, and I've got to find the link to it uh, and go back to it. It's a, it's a good paper, and it talks about how um, disability leads to innovation. That if you have something that works well and it doesn't work well for a while, it leads to the thing that worked well before working better in the future. That's how we innovate. We have to have a need before we innovate. Well, there is a front and center in everybody's crosshairs need to innovate, and it's happening. There is a massive automation push going on in, in this industry. There's a couple of things I want to talk about. One is... Uh this has happened before, but the other one, we have another question from John. Good question. Are U.S. exports having the same problem leaving as imports arriving? Some are and some aren't. Um, getting them, the things we put in containers and we ship overseas are moving out fairly quickly. But one of our principal exports, and this is something that in a normal year would have made headlines, our farmers' grain exports are the price is super high and the world wants more than we can provide, and we're same doing with, just wonderful. Yeah, same with liquid natural gas. Uh, the but Chinese are are calling directly Texas frackers at this point, and I've gotten some interesting feedback on that, where the Texas fracker picks up the phone and is speaking to somebody with very broken English, wishing to buy a large amount of liquid natural gas from a pumping station in... Uh, in the middle of the panhandle. And they're like, uh. <laughs> so the Chinese are trying to figure out how to get more liquid natural gas from the United States. The problem is, and they're actually starting to put grain in containers now, you know, the shipping containers right. that you see on the back of trains and trucks. We've never done that before. 
but there is some difficulty in getting grain out because it doesn't, it's not normally put in containers. We are having some problems in getting, it's not getting it out of the United States. That's not the big problem. The problem is that, and one of the reasons we're having this snafus go on is ports are shutting down in places like China. The entire port shuts down because China still has the philosophy of zero COVID. Yeah. They get a COVID infection in a port area and they shut the city down. They shut the port down. And when they open up again, there's a big surge of, of, of incoming and outgoing stuff. Um, Australia, New Zealand, and most of the rest of the world that was operating under, and, and Vietnam, for example, were operating under zero COVID. Whenever there was a COVID infection, they would shut everything down around it and isolate it and, and wipe it out. But Delta was moving faster than they could do that, and it was wrecking their economy. The United States took the opposite track. We said, we don't care how many COVID infections there are, just to a degree. We're not going to try to have zero COVID. And we've had, as a result, a lot of people, a lot more people per 100,000 die. But our economy is going like gangbusters, whereas the, the Chinese economy is teetering on the verge of recession right now. And that is largely a, because of COVID shutdowns. Yeah, that is an extremely rare event. It's like the last 30 years, China doesn't have recessions because the government has been so good at stepping in. And they're scared. This is part of why the crackdown is occurring. They're getting a lot of these bigger public figures in the tech world shut up is because if they hit in a recession, I can tell you a, a theory I developed in economics at the very budding of my economic career called the cattail theory. And it was based on studies of Rome. It was based on pandemics and studies of Rome. So when people talk about pandemics and stuff. I've been studying this stuff for decades. And the cattail theory was my uh, very simplified label for overly complex math, but it comes back to very simple concept of the government, if it tries to calm out inflation, if it tries to calm out the marketplace, if it tries to calm out supply and demand because there's too much movement, it's very much like sitting next to a cat whose tail is lightly twitching. For those of you that have had cats in your life, that's a fairly normal thing. They're sitting there, just the tip of the tail is twitching just a little bit. So if we, as the governing force here, the government, reach down and say, I'm just going to add some stability here. I'm going to keep that twitch from occurring. I'm going to put my hand gently on the tail and just prevent it from moving. If you ever had a cat, you know what happens when you let go. And that is what the Chinese are afraid of. Now, they don't call it the cattail theory. They have some Chinese equivalent to it. But that's what they're afraid of. If they release that iron hold on the economy, on the banks, on the ability for someone to speak negatively about China, then when bad things happen, they'll happen really badly. The Chinese, the Communist Party could lose control if they have a bad recession, while they have a bunch of people that everybody respects talking bad about the government. So this is why the people that everybody respects that are in the private banking world, that have been meeting at conferences in America, that have been making movies in America, they're being stifled right now because the Chinese are terrified. We, we talk about it going more and more autocratic and they're making bad decisions. If they see their current movement leading to a recession, they're actually making good decisions for the benefit of the Communist Party there, uh, of the people in control, by limiting dissent before it occurs. Um, and that's, 
It sounds like I just gave them a compliment. I don't believe in their system of government in any way, but when you look at what they're trying to accomplish with the decisions and choices that they're making, it certainly makes sense from their perspective. When people look at it and say, it doesn't make sense what Xi Jinping is doing over there. Why is he stifling his technologies, messing up his innovation? It's because if they hit a recession and he hasn't done that, then Jack Ma might have been the next prime minister or, or dictator or whatever it's called when a government shifts to a new government completely. Uh, and they're aware of that because that's happened throughout history in China. They, they're really good at looking at long term. Yeah, they call their leader chairman. Right. Um, they don't call him president or king well, or emperor. They call him chairman. That's our translation. And that's the funny thing is that it's a, it's, it is chairman or head of a committee. What I think is funny is he's always standing while everyone else is sitting, but he's the chairman. Right. Which doesn't make any sense. Does it translate right. now as chairperson or is it still translating as chairman? Is this China? But it's the chairman. translation goes with our language. Yeah, well, it is literally chairman. Okay, chairman. Yes, chairman. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, so that's when we we're looking stuff at. We got other to talk about, yeah, too. Uh, there's, this is just fascinating to us. There's so many data points out there that are moving around. It's just phenomenally educational watching what people are doing in the middle of this. Oh. We want to talk about natural gases but also do you want to get inquisitor john's question on regulations new regulations well the biden administration is pushing the sec among other organizations to require companies to disclose what they're doing about climate change and and before you jump on this and say what are they doing that for there is a legitimate risk there to investors let me let me explain that uh I recently spoke to a gentleman who uh, is can, back and forth. Can, can we can we define the problem a little bit more before we get into the nitty gritty the, the the regulations on climate change that we're talking about? Well, the regulations primarily concern disclosures. They're basically saying uh, if if a company is going to be affected by climate change, it needs to tell investors that it's going to be affected by climate change. Uh, and it also it, there's there's a push. It's a it's a secondary push, and it'll take a while to get that done. Companies, it's being suggested that companies say what they're doing about climate change, both in the sense of are we doing something to hold to hold it down, and are we preparing our properties and our facilities and so on for the effects of climate change. And the effects of climate change are very dramatic. We've had big fires in California. We've had big floods in other places. That previously were unknown. We've had places flooding that haven't been flood, flooded since recorded history. And we've had some of the biggest fires that we've ever seen. And those are to do with climate change. So if, and, if you think about a power company that has power lines that go through a drought area in the Midwest, um, a disclosure from them front and center about how recently they've trimmed back the trees around the lines. These are, these are part of, of what's going on there. So there's, there's a bureaucratic shift that doesn't have to do with the, any administration in the process. And then there's the administration push. So there's two different sides of this. The, the administration push is, is trying to get uh, some clarity, and it's not really clear what their clarity is because the regulations haven't been even guessed at yet. The, the, 
one of the things that the administrator wants to do, and and this is the market is doing it already, but the SEC is kind of following the market, is for companies to disclose what they're doing that may exacerbate climate change or may help relieve it. And they want it to be front and center and registered and publicized and so that people can make decisions because a lot of people want to know. It's pretty interesting. So, I think. yeah, what the SEC started this with, when I say there's a bureaucratic push that's a normal bureaucratic push to uh, protect the public, you may have heard of the term ESG, Environment, Sustainability, and Government. Those things are, uh, they're being advertised everywhere. Oh, we're an ESG, whatever, fill in the blank. Everybody says ESG. Well, there's no definition that is commonly held as to what that means. Uh, in fact, the folks that came up with it, and we were at the conference that they announced it at Morningstar where they said ESG, they have different standards for ESG across different marketplaces. They, they uh, governance portion of ESG is supposed to be for human rights and so on. And yet of the emerging markets, Saudi Arabia has a very high ESG rating and they're still in heated debate over whether or not women should drive. Um, so ESG as a statement, the SEC starts saying, hey, how are you defining this? What is this? In the middle of that, there are other lawsuits that are taking place across the Midwest, across the West uh, Coast, and in a lot of cases in Texas, strangely having to do with natural gas, talking about environmental sh shifts and what do we disclose as a danger to an investor if you're not protected against environmental damage. And then you add on top of that that the Biden administration is pushing a green uh, movement and you get kind of a, maybe a taller stack sandwich than is easy to bite. Um, so we're waiting on that. There's a big chunk of this in the budget that is stalled out and creeping forward slowly. Um, but we don't know, still don't know, even though we're delaying installing and so on, we don't know what the final wording is going to be. Uh, so it becomes very difficult to even come to the debate, we get lots of folks that send us articles about what this could mean. Go ahead. I want to venture an opinion here. Uh, it's certainly not a certain, it's not a prediction, it's an opinion. I think just as, because I remember the debate over clean air and clean water. Yeah. I remember that relatively clearly. When the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act were passed. In 1970. Uh, you realize uh, what that does to everyone that's listening to this program. They know something how, about how old you are if you're remembering well, the, the passing of the Clean Air Act. What, what they probably, a lot of very few people remember is the thing that led up to that, which was years of discussions and arguments and debate back and forth over whether the federal government had any business regulating the air or the water. And, and some big, big debates over whether or not it was actually human caused the fact that we had a river on fire or acid rain. Yeah. Well, that, that was pretty well debunked. Say, yep, nope, humans are doing that. They passed the Clean Air Act and suddenly we didn't have rivers on fire anymore. Well, suddenly being. Not as a clean, clean water act. For clean the water act for the rivers. And suddenly we, di we didn't have to get 
aluminum-lined umbrellas so they didn't decay as you held them up to the rain in Detroit. So, so I think what we're going to see over time is increased regulation by law and by regulators limiting the amount of carbon that a company can put into the air without paying for it. And there will be fines and there will be, it'll be a slow motion process, but I think it's important. And I realize that there are people who object to the concept that any part of global warming is caused by human activity. I'll, I'll, I mean, let me say this rather clearly. There's absolutely no question, experimentally, scientifically, or any other way, that an increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere causes the planet to warm up. This is I how mean, you make a greenhouse. Uh, pretty simple. That, it, it, it happened, it kind of happened in a runaway fashion on Venus, and now lead, molten lead runs on the surface of Venus. Um, it's hot. We're, we're not expecting what happened in Venus to happen here. Just no. Say, that's a, that was a, a comparison <laughs> to say that we know that carbon dioxide does heat up atmospheres. Well, it, was, it, it occurred over billions of years. Right. In, on Venus. And, but it's something we know that increased carbon dioxide levels. We also can tell you, for example, during the times that, that there were tropical forests around the poles, and there were because the fossils are there, that we had high carbon dioxide levels in the air. And on top of the mountains, Mauna Kea, I think it is, in um, Hawaii, there's a measurement being made regularly and has been made regularly for about 75 years of how much carbon dioxide is in that very pristine upper atmosphere. And there's now about 10 times as much carbon dioxide in the air as there was 70 years ago. So are we causing the globe to heat up? Yes. Is it a natural process? There's a natural probably. process going on too, but we're probably accelerating it. And there's a fundamental issue. Bioorganisms, and we are bioorganisms, don't do well living in their own waste product. And carbon dioxide is a waste product. And it's it's going to be bumpy, but I think we're going to be moving away from carbon dioxide spewing and as you said, energy production. The market is already moving in that direction. It wouldn't yeah. people wouldn't be talking about clarifying ESG if it wasn't being demanded by people with money. And that's what the market does is it says, oh, you have a bias. We will we will get you to pay us for that bias. The market doesn't change a bias. Education does that. The market, I mean, you don't say all I have to do is convince everyone that they need a product that they've never heard of before. That's that's a really hard marketing campaign. If you say everyone's been asking for this thing and I have it now, it's a lot easier to market that. That means that the market panders to bias. It doesn't change bias. That means that the bias in the United States is changing to say we would rather protect the area around we live, around where we live, rather than pollute it. Thank you very much for listening, if you have. If you haven't, then no thanks to you. Um, yeah. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting locally during the week at... 254-947-1111. Uh, real live people during the week, voicemail during the weekend, and that is also 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can email us through there, contact us through there, podcasts, newsletters, all that good stuff. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.